Welcome back to The Short Game. This is the show where we talk about short video games, the kind of things you can probably complete in an evening or a weekend, um, but more importantly, the kind of games that can try things that big games cannot dare to try. And I am your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my charming co-host, Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? Oh, thank you very much. I'm doing great. And you're right. Things that bigger games couldn't dare to try is a good summary of what we're talking about this week. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so this week we're talking about, uh, well, specifically, we're talking about a quote-unquote game that is uh, Eczema Angel Orifice, uh, which is the collected works, more or less, of Porpentine, or Porpentine Charity Heartscape, if you want the full name. And people who listen to our interactive fiction episode... Uh, may remember that um, in one of our takes we talked about how Porpentine had the best webpage of any game designer we'd ever seen. It is uh, covered in rainbows and animations and, uh, you know, glitter on fire. And if you like any of those things, you will probably enjoy the hell out of the collection we're talking about. Part of what makes Porpentine's work so interesting is Porpentine's aesthetic, but it's also very wrapped up in Porpentine's persona. Porpentine's description on her website is, I'm a femme organism in Oakland who makes everything. My aesthetic is I'm really tired all the time. My art is for people who gave up. I heart the feminine. Um, and that's a pretty good starter description. If you want to learn more about her, she's been profiled by you know the New York Times. Um, Emily Short's written pieces on her. Uh, she's a really cool, like weird, surrealist writer who loves trash, um, femme, slime, transgender, slime, depression, um, is sprinkles, sprinkles. <laughs> she's really interested in kind of marrying these, um, you know, sludgy, gross, disgusting, creepy elements and putting them right next to the glitter and the diamonds, um, it's a really interesting mix that makes for a really odd, unique take on interactive fiction. And she has work that kind of range the gamut from things that are really deeply rooted in the sort of fun side of that aesthetic, um, all the way to things that are much sort of darker and introspective, but still really eclectic and interesting and, uh, and sort of surrealist. Um, and there's a real interesting sort of emotional truth or, or heart to a lot of her work that I think really just sort of um, elevates it above just sort of mere weirdness for weirdness's sake. I mean, she's the type of writer for, you know, it's not the type of kid who's playing in House of Pooh Corner. It's the type of kid who's wondering if they bite their fingernails was going to cut up their insides. That's, a, that's great. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a nice... Um, it's barely imaginative. Um, and the cool thing about this bundle is that she has taken a curative eye toward it. Um, you know, a little guide up top of mm -hmm. what are you looking for? Fun, contemplative? Um, are you looking for something long or short? Bleak? Dreamlike? Um, and it's kind of your own choose your own adventure. They're all twine games. Yeah. Some have music, some don't. They don't really say if they're going to be... There are trigger warnings, or content warnings, rather, not trigger warnings. Um, but you don't really know what you're getting into. Yeah, this collection was actually exactly what I needed to really fully explore what I've been hearing about Porpentine's work for a while. So, first of all, 
All of this stuff, all of Porpentine's Twine games, are available for free on her website. So what all this collection does is bundle those together as a single product and basically sell them to you as something you can download to your computer for five bucks. But something about this presentation, you're right, the sort of curatorial eye of it really makes it a lot more accessible, or at least it did for me. Um, you know, the, the games are all presented with that guide that breaks it down in terms of which games are long, which games are short, which games are fun, which games are, you know, maybe not so fun. Or fun, fun is the wrong word to be using there. Games that are more serious or what is the word that they use in the, in the guide? Bleak. Bleak, yeah. And it really lets you pick the games based on your mood, um, but also kind of get a better sense of which games are the ones that are important to play. Um, or which games can kind of break up things for you, and, you know, just the very short, quick little little things. If you didn't listen to our interactive fiction episode, you may not really be familiar with the format that's being used here. Um, Twine is a, a game-building tool, but it's also sort of just sort of a web build. I don't know what to, how to describe Twine exactly. Well, give it your best shot. It's an interactive script engine. Um, so basically, it's... The, it's a clickable version of the Choose Your Own Adventure books where some pieces of text will let you uh, change them or alter what you see on screen and other pieces are actually decisions. Um, you can go back and forth, you know, kind of like a few of the early text adventure games where you're moving between rooms, but instead of typing commands in, you're just only choosing elements of the text. Sometimes things will trigger, you know, some of the more elaborate games will include full background changes, sound effects, music, um, other ones are just text. Um, Twine is a pretty flexible format, and the nice thing about it is that it lets you focus on the words, and you know every design decision is intentional. Um, there's nothing, you know, it's black words on a page when you start. It really does focus on the words, too. I mean, calling these games, it, they are games, because I'm a, I'm a sort of big tent believer in, you know, games are what you play. But... I think it's probably more specific or accurate to call these hypertext fiction. You know, these are these are games that are really about a reading experience. You're making decisions as you go, but something that Emily Short said in one of her pieces that she wrote on her blog, and I'll try to link to as many of those as I can because she's great at explaining what's so important about Porpentine's work. But um, it, one of the things she said was that a lot of people automatically sort of conflate the idea of interactive fiction with fiction where you interactively decide the outcome. And that's not really the case with much of Porpentine's work. Um, really, what we're doing is reading a story um, that has interactive elements that make it more immersive than simple words on a page. But we're not necessarily, you know, trying to get the best ending or something like that. We're playing the games in order to absorb the story and kind of become involved in it in a way that maybe wouldn't be possible if it was just simple text. You generally are choosing the language that most appeals to you, not the ending, but you are immersing yourself deeper in the text by being able to choose the option that appeals most to you. Yeah, sort of customizing the story to to work better for you. Would you like to build with the bone of a heretic or with the blood of a magi? Who knows? <laughs> what effect does that have on the game? It's very oblique to tell, but probably none, but it uh, it makes it more immersive to make those decisions as you go. 
And I was very excited to see Heretics later because I had crushed the bonus one earlier in the game. <laughs> That's not a spoiler for anybody. No. Um, and of course, there's so many games uh, as a part of this collection that we're not going to be able to, we haven't been able to play all of them and we won't be able to talk in any real detail about many of them. We're also going to try hard to not spoil anything important. There's not going to be a spoiler break in this episode. We're go- just going to talk about what we love about the games while keeping it as spoiler free as possible. Um, if you want a truly un, you know, unspoiled experience, you can play most of these games online for free right now. And so go play a couple of them and see if, uh, if Porpentine's stuff, you know, is something that you dig. But if it's, uh, if it is, uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to where you can buy this collection for five bucks. Um, she's also trying to get it listed on Steam. So it's on Greenlight. Voting for it there would probably be a helpful thing. And heck, I don't know, go buy a t-shirt on uh, on Porpentine's website. She also sells stickers, which I have just affixed to my laptop. And if you are really holding out, you're not thinking this is for you, and you happen to like Kesha, <laughs> Porpentine <laughs> is the author of Crystal Warrior Kesha, um, which is not a part of this bundle. But Probably because f- of the embedded uh, audio, which would have been difficult to include in it. Probably a- because it's just a... F- <laughs> It's an interactive fanfic video of the song Warrior by Kesha, which is probably cost more than $5 to embed in your game. But um, it's it's hella fun. And if you like playing that, you'll probably dig the hell out of these games. I might have said dig the hell out of this game twice already in this podcast. We've been on for like 10 minutes. You know, I dig the hell out of all of these games, so I'm not worried about it. Nah. So, um... Since it's hard to know if you're going to love an author just on our words, um, we wanted to pull a couple snippets we really liked. Um, sometimes it's a little bit um, macabre. Uh, one I really liked was um, you have a chance to observe um, different people by a river, told completely through phrases like, a spider cat mends its rat-heavy web. That's a very dense sentence. Yeah. And... I really appreciate it's not a plot heavy sentence and it's the only one really on the page, but that little bit tells me more about this world than some people could do in eight pages of writing. Yeah. There's so many little sentences like that. Like a lot of what Porpentine does is build these incredibly dense worlds with just incredibly sparse text. I mean, it's, uh, it's sort of like a weird trash fantasy Hemingway kind of style where like you get just a simple sentence like um, in Howling Dogs, there's a piece where uh, you have to tell your underlings in this uh, to find a place in which no in which the legends say no gods are buried. And that means, of course, you know, just from that sentence to find a place in which the legends say no gods are buried. That means that gods are buried all over the place in this world. And that in turn means that gods die in this world and they have bodies and you have to bury them. And it it's just so startling. And there's so many little things like that. The biggest one for this is for me was was probably uh, Howling Dogs, but all of her games kind of seem to build these worlds like this where where she gives you these tiny hints at a bizarre world you know uh high-end customizable sauna experience is giving you this these hints at this bizarre world of sort of weird funny sort of hacker culture in a sci-fi fantasy howling dogs gives you these this 
several hints of weird worlds that you're getting these brief peeks into with those we love alive same kind of deal we're getting these these hints of a uh, sort of a dark fantasy world where tiny sentences like that about the spider cat kind of unravel things for you and kind of hint at a, a larger world that you can't really really understand but that the characters all seem to understand and that have has sort of an internal logic even ultra business tycoon 3 which is a game about playing a video game the world of the video game is larger and more complex than you can understand from the text but you get a real flavor for it you really understand the world of that she's trying to build based on these tiny hints that it gives you throughout and i really loved how much the writing reminded me of other authors that I've in bits and pieces. I mean, there's um, a man called Ray Vilkovec who wrote a book of short stories called Me in the Me in the Rune Room. One story is entirely about a guy getting stuck in a sweater, which I feel like is right out of a Porpentine <laughs> game. Um, or people, you know, coming to a trash heap and turning into violins. Um, there's Catherine M. Valente, who people might, who's a more popular author who's written, you know, Deathless and Pompousest. Uh, that kind of lyrical, meaningful but also surprising pieces of sentences. Um, one of the nicest things about these games is they're designed to let you fall into them, and then they'll say something that pulls you back to the real world and yourself and makes you, you, remain in the story. Um, several of the more serious games um, will immerse you as much as humanly possible and then remind you of the characters you're playing is actually in another world or will remind you that you're sitting at a desk and you actually have feelings yourself. What It's really quite wonderful. It does a wonderful job of being very visual while still being just about text. You know, I, I have visual memories of all of these games in my mind where I could almost imagine that I saw the these fine details of, of the things that are barely even described in text, let alone images. And I kind of think of her aesthetic as sort of a glittery version of a text-based H.R. Geiger, like incredibly, like, dark and creepy and yet, you know, cute and fancy at times as well. <laughs> the visuals she has chosen give you a lot of clues about the story. Um, but it's not as if there are no pictures, you know. There's gradients. That's about it. And a couple of them will have little, you know, tiny pixel pictures um, embedded. But it's more of a surprise to see a picture than you'd think. <laughs> so there are about 20 games in this collection. And uh, we want to specifically mention some of the ones that are worth starting with. Every one of our games is worth playing, but with so many games, it's hard to know where to start. And the guide within the collection does a pretty good job of pointing, pointing out what to start based on, you know, your preferences. But there's a few games by Porpentine that are particularly famous for one reason or another. Um, and uh, we want to kind of mention some of those and why they're interesting and why, why you should play those. And we should probably start with Howling Dogs. Howling Dogs is a game that Porpentine um, started working on and created apparently fairly quickly, like within a, within just a few uh, days or weeks, um, when uh, she was beginning uh, hormone treatments. Um, you know, she was transitioning. And so the game came out in 2012, 
Um, but it hadn't gained a whole lot of attention. I think it was created before Porpentine was really all that well known. Um, but a kind of an interesting incident kind of brought it into the you know awareness of the game's press and uh, of the internet in general. And that was that uh, when Richard Hoffmeyer won the grand prize at IGF, uh, Independent Games Festival, in 2013, I think it was a 2013, um, he actually... You know, he had a he had a booth there for his game, Cart Life, which had just won, and it had been spray painted over with a sign for Porpentine's Howling Dogs. And uh, everybody who came to see the Cart Life booth, the winner, saw Porpentine's game instead. And it actually turned out that it was Richard Hoffmeyer himself who did that to try to shine light on what he thought was a really interesting game. Um, and I thought that was sort of really selfless, interesting, kind of cool move by somebody who was really at the peak of you know, probably it should have been their moment for their game. And yet kind of taking that, you know, that that small amount of power that you get in that moment of winning something and using it to shine light on something that you think is really interesting or important. Yeah, and the game itself, when you start, you're in this hospital or cell, you're kind of, you know, have a couple options to explore the space, but they're pretty limited. But if you take your food and water... You can put on a headset, a visor, and enter into other narratives. And that's partly what I meant by that escapism. Some of these um, little virtual reality or alternate worlds you step into um, lasted long enough that I temporarily forgot I was playing the game where you are in a cell. And I'd be kicked back to the cell and I'd be like, oh, this again, Um, which I think is exactly how you're supposed to feel. That theme of escapism some of them are lovely. A lot of them are about death. Um, some of them are real past life experience, you know, kind of, you know, hinted at. Maybe it's, you know, saints, religion, um, all kinds of different. You never know what you're going to get when you lower that visor. Um, and as your cells getting worse and worse, you just keep wanting to do it more and more. Of all of Porpentine's games, this one, I'm glad I played it first um, because it really sort of caught me off guard. Um, it's very unlike anything else I've ever played in terms of interactive fiction. And um, something that's really interesting about it that seems like a flaw at first and actually is something that Porpentine really exclu- exploits really deliberately and I, does in some of her other games as well, um, is this sort of almost sort of feeling of not being able to do anything. You know, you're trapped in this room. It does seem like sort of a prison cell or a hospital room or a, you know, or a, a bunk on a spaceship. You, we really don't know where you, as the protagonist of the game, are. Um, but you are trapped there. There's really not much for you to do. You can go and eat food from the dispenser. You can put your trash into the trash. There's a quote-unquote sanity room where you can go and sit and be refreshed by images of trees and plants and things. But really, the only sort of action you can take in that space is to go and sit in this sort of, you know, VR visor. And through that experience, you know, that that sort of repetition of that, of that feeling of being trapped, it, it puts the, the feeling of escaping through that sort of VR worlds under a sort of a different light. But it's strange the sort of things that you're escaping to. You know, you're escaping into a what's presumably various simulations, a simulation of 
someone who seems to be the victim of some sort of a. I mean, we won't we won't go into too much detail here to avoid spoilers, but there's there's uh, you know something about uh, experiencing uh, victimization and abuse. Um, there's something uh, about experiencing sort of religious persecution that you sort of reenacting a, uh, a Joan of Arc type scenario. Um, the, the final, I think, simulation tells the story of uh, a young girl born to be the queen of some sort of place. Um, and you have a sort of a, a withered bone foot, which is a part of your, you know, mythology of, of being born to queenhood. An and empress. An empress, excuse me. And, and your, uh, all of your instruction as a child is in how to properly die when you are inevitably assassinated. I just love that, that sort of world building of this culture around death and, and having a, an empress who is a child raised with the idea that you will be assassinated. And how do you do that properly? How do you arrange your body and die in the right light? That sort of thing really dark, weird world building. But at the end of every one of these, you're always brought back to that, that room being trapped. Um, you know, things falling apart, you know, your, your room getting more dismal and depressing as, as things start to break down. Um, it really kind of made me feel that sort of feeling that you get when you feel trapped in your life, even if it's something much more, much more, simple and 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 personal like like feeling trapped in your job or in a depressing circumstance it, it was very i don't know very cool I, I really thought howling dogs was awesome it is a game about choosing again and again to leave you know one reality and go into another um and it's you know if you liked Cloud Atlas or any of those, not the movie, the book, <laughs> or both. You could like both. Um, if you like that kind of Matryoshka doll narratives, this one's really awesome. In the notes about it, um, Porpentine wrote, I think what a lot of people identified with is the feeling of being trapped in a shitty apartment with a screen, like a monitor or phone or whatever. Your environment falls apart in this haze of poverty, disability, depression, but the screen keeps glowing. And I think that's exactly what I identified with about it. Like it reminded me of like the lowest I've been in, you know, the poorest I've been and how there was always some escape, but it never really felt like a true escape. But it's not the only really good uh, serious game in here. There's a couple other hugely, well, I would say famous, but they actually are kind of famous. I mean, the other two, um, uh, with that we've called a few times out uh, with those we love alive. Um, we were talking about um, kind of the game of the year awards last year. Um, Reagan said he was scared to play it because it involves writing on your skin. Mm, yeah. I have this thing about writing on my skin. I never really like it. I remember in, in elementary school or maybe middle school, there was this sort of fad where uh, at least at my school, all of the kids started writing on each other's skin. And it was this sort of like friendship bracelet kind of thing. You would write, I yeah, that was a weird thing. I don't know why we were doing that, but yeah, and um, and I was I was like aghast at it, and I probably didn't have any, you know, ha did probably didn't have enough friends that it would have ever really been a risk. But I was like, I don't want that. Don't write on my skin. Gross. I I don't like it, and that actually kind of enhanced the experience for me because this is a game where sort of the central gimmick, and that's 
using that word in a positive light, I don't, I know that gimmick sounds derisive. I don't mean it that way, but it's sort of central, I don't know, mechanic. Hook. Yeah, exactly. Is that as you play this game, you know, that takes place in this strange world where everything is, you know, bizarre and yet somehow sort of drenched in meaning, um, the game pauses periodically and asks you to respond to the events of the game and your choices in the game by drawing sigils on your skin with a pen or Sharpie or something it can write on skin. Um, so, you know, it might tell you, you know, draw a sigil of shame or, you know, how do you feel about that? Draw a sigil representing your feelings about it, that kind of thing. Yeah, it is a tangible artifact of the game. And I would encourage you not to look up anyone's sigils until after you've played. But a lot of people do post pictures afterwards. And it's kind of lovely to... Mine ended up looking pretty personal. Mm-hmm. And I, you can see other people sharing it. Um, some of them are beautiful. Some of them look really intensely individualistic. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very rare that you get a personal creative expression as a souvenir of a game. And it's even more rare that you get to see other people's creative output and feel like you're part of a larger community. Yeah. And and because these are things that you're drawing on your skin, which is deeply personal and and kind of, you know, it's very sensory. It's um, intense. It is intense. And, And coming away from the game, like I felt changed by it by the game and i mean in a in a physical visible way i i think it takes what would be an affecting emotional experience just based on the the quality of the prose and the sort of interesting um you know interesting world and story that it builds and it really does make it something much more sensory um I don't know if this is a, a like a tool that others could use. I feel like this is something that, you know, Porpentine came up with that is a really smart idea that you get one shot at. This is a really smart one shot idea, but I, I think it's brilliant. The game also has a section where you can go down by a link and meditate. Um, and they just give you meditation prompts to, you know, inhale, exhale. I'm holding my breath. You can change the breathing speed it says i need different breaths <laughs> and you can say i want to breathe faster or slower um and they pause between showing you the prompts so even if you're not actually breathing along with the game it feels like you are um, and that's the kind of care that lets you draw on your skin when she asks for you for it. Mm-hmm. And to set up the world of the game without providing too much in the way of spoilers, this is another one of Porpentine's games like that sort of final simulation of Howling Dogs that, that builds a bizarre world. And in this world, you know, you're playing as a... Uh, artificier. Yes, excuse me, an artificier. And a witch. I love lady witches. Yes. And lady artificiers build telescopes, take heretic bones... So a lot of the game is involved with, you know, building things, uh, but you're building things at the command of, is she referred to as a queen here or an empress? She's also an empress. Another, another of Porpentine's more common themes. In some ways, I felt like this was an expansion of that very interesting final simulation from Howling Dogs. Um, You are sort of 
at the mercy of an enormous, terrifying monster that, you know, the sort of a insectoid, perhaps, creature that is referred to as the Empress and, and rules, presumably, the whole, whole uh, world. Um, and she's, the Empress, is constantly tasking you with building things for her, weapons and even more intimate things. And so it's... Um, it's a it's a game sort of about that feeling of of being oh and also the the main character um, is sort of the victim of some childhood trauma uh, that's very sort of fantasticalized and interesting but um, you know nonetheless it, do, it the game does a great job of sort of dealing with these themes of being uh, a traumatized or abused as a child um, with themes of being sort of at the mercy of you know evil or dark things or even just an unfair world filled with people unable to stand up to you know something fundamentally wrong and like a lot of excellent fantasy and sci-fi it's handled with a light touch Mm -hmm. it doesn't immerse you press your face into the trauma it doesn't make you you know it's not like watching um, a documentary or watching a movie that takes advantage of your empathy this game instead wants you to embrace it as part of the world. They'll, it'll have commentary on pain, but it's when you're feeling pain as a character, it asks you to think about your real life pain. Um, it doesn't cheat you in that way. Yeah. By having such a light touch it uh, and not not making it about anything that's really overt. I mean, it's uh, it, it's more hinting at the world of the game and the history of the characters that you're you're playing than it is sort of telling you a lot of detail. But partly because of that, I feel like it made it easier to connect with because although they're in this bizarre fantasy world, um, it, it's all it's all fairly easy to connect with. So I thought it was a really, really smart, clever game. The drawing on your skin thing was a hook that worked far better than I expected. Um, and and left me thinking about the game long after I left it, and even after I had finally scrubbed the last of those sigils off of my skin. Yeah, it literally marks you, which is pretty cool. And the last of the three kind of um, biggies in this set um, is Ultra Business Tycoon 3, which is an ode to... Uh, Shareware. Immersing yourself in shareware. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a, it's an ode to like shitty shareware that you just kind of take over your life and you know forget who you are to play. Um, this is this is the game that surprised me the most because it takes such an interesting turn. Which we uh, avoiding spoilers, we won't talk too much about the ending or anything. But um, the setup for this game is really fun and amusing, and something I really connected with. You know, you're playing as a person who is playing a video game um, so you're you know you're playing a game that is simulating a much more sophisticated game you know you're playing a game on your computer that is called ultra business tycoon 3 um, which is a sort of RPG where you're playing as a businessman with a capital B and this woman. Definitely, a, you're you're an awesome business lady. Actually, doesn't it let you choose? Because I think I played as a man. Oh yeah, it did. I just assumed. I forgot. You get to choose your gender. And you're playing in this incredibly complex business world. Although the business world is truly a bizarre fantasy world, full of business-themed 
fantasy things. Business matrixy things. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I made some poor decisions. This was like, you know, playing a calculator game about calculator game about drug wars and then like having it go horribly south. That happened super fast in this game. Mm-hmm. So you uh, your gameplay initially is just about trying to build up a million dollars in Ultra Business Tycoon 3, um, which is a thing that seems almost impossible and made even more difficult by the fact that since you haven't paid for this shareware, you can't get past the shareware barrier where it asks you to put in the game's serial number. Um, uh, which actually Porpentine kindly provides for you outside the game in a piracy-style NFO file, which I thought was hysterical because it kind of you know relates back to that feeling that I know I had a ton when I was um, you know at the age that I think this game is is kind of explaining. Um, in fact, what what I enjoyed most was reading her notes and finding that she was um, specifically inspired by some of the games that I played so much when I was a kid. She says here, shareware barriers are fascinating. They're like chastity devices for worlds. When I was a kid, I had one of those shareware discs with 500 games on it and nothing else to do. And I just go so deep inside each game like I was scraping the meat out of a shell. Nothing could stop me from eternally bonking up against the constraints, not starfighting the parrot in escape velocity that blew my ship into vapor, not the demon in exile that barred me from crossing the lava caves and exploring the subterranean wilderness and all its lonely secrets. Shareware protection felt like an extension of the landscape itself, a physical chasm imprisoning me. And you know, I know that. And in fact, escape velocity and the parrot she talks about it was a huge part of my childhood. And I remember trolling through forums and through um, news groups trying to find a serial number for escape velocity, which I couldn't afford at the time. Because after a certain period, if you didn't have the the uh, the code for escape velocity, uh, a parrot and a spaceship would come and kill you every time. And I remember getting killed by that parrot so many times that I was willing to go to the dark side of the internet, break the law, try to steal the game. And when I did find it, I broke through and I played the rest of the game and the galaxy opened up for me. And this really connected with that sort of experience for me. Yeah, I think I also intentionally delayed putting in that code for a while because mm-hmm. I was, I, I, you know, it is horribly frustrating. Um, as I remember from, you know, I mean, hell, even a lot of the you know, dumb games my brother would buy, like Leisure Suit Larry, like I couldn't have, I couldn't find the you know book and turn to page five hundred seven and write the word on the second paragraph. It's like <laughs> maybe it's door. Um, just trying to hack it horribly, um, and it has a little bit of that um, Howling Dogs bit where you're cycling through. Um, there's lots of rounds. Um, that kind of repetitive nature, but mm-hmm. it is, you know, it's a prison of our own making. People who like games, it is, and die a lot. Um, I feel like if Nate was here, he'd be talking about FTL right now. Yeah, he's been imprisoned by that for years now. <laughs> Absolutely, um, and that's a really good point. You know, I, I never, at the time, certainly never thought of that as a prison. But I think about it now and think, why did I spend that time when I could have just I don't know, somehow scrape together the cash to, to buy a shareware code. And then I think, no, as a child, that was entirely beyond my reach. I might as well have been trying to, you know, 
buy a car to escape. You know, it, it was it was impossible. But what's really fascinating about this game is that it's not a game about getting money and being an ultra business tycoon. It's a game about playing ultra business tycoon and the experience of being that age and being sort of endlessly trapped in your home and having to escape through this game. And having to see the same cutscenes over and over and over again. <laughs> exactly. And, and where it becomes really fascinating is where this game turns to hinting at and eventually really diving you into the world outside the game, the world of the player of the game. Um, and that's where it also really connected with me because I remember that feeling of being young and, and escaping my life through games. You know, I, I didn't live a tortured existence or anything, but, um, you know, every childhood is, is full of little miseries. And the world outside the game being so much less appealing than the world within it and escaping and maybe even escaping things that really you ought to be more present for is, is a theme that I really connected with. Yeah. And one of the nicest things about this bundle is that in addition to these longer, you know, not even that long, uh, maybe an hour. Yeah. Like um, how long are these? There may be, I, I played through most of these longer games that we're talking about here, like um, ultra business tycoon in, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, they're not long. Um, but if you are looking for a more snack size experience, there's a lot of funny short games. There's a frog simulator called Beautiful Frog. <laughs> Which is adorable. It is adorable. Sometimes I was good at hopping. Sometimes I was good at singing. Sometimes I died really soon because I accepted the inevitability of frog death. Mm -hmm. And that was my choice. Um, there's a weird uh, Super Diamond War reenactment where you can... I don't want to spoil anything, but some of the choices you make will end the game very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, there's one that just seems to be, you know, faceless, genderless, amorphous, bone mass, hair beast was just about cuddling with a faceless, genderless, amorphous, bone mass, hair beast, kissing, nuzzling, snuggling with it, and then going and getting them lollipops. Mm -hmm. You don't need much. And they get even simpler. List of hell genders is literally a list of hell genders, whatever those are. It's a list. It's something that you can click in, and therefore, in some ways, it is interactive. It is a game. But it's really just an expression of a strange line of thoughts by Porpentine. And all of these little tiny things are something that you can dip your toe into and get a sense of the mind of the author. And, and it's full of very interesting, weird imagery and, and fun, fun thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoy that. She has chosen to make this her performance art medium. Um, it is wonderful that Porpentine wants to make games to make people feel things, to make people feel awesome, to make people you know, cry to make, to move people. Um, and that she's, you know, $5 is pretty awesome for the amount of writing you get. Yeah. So if you want to check out these games and I absolutely 100% recommend that you do, um, the easiest way to do that is through this, uh, this collection. You can go in the show notes. We'll have a link and it's on itch.io. By the way, itch.io is doing amazing stuff. Um, if you aren't checking out that web, their website, their, the front page of itch, 
itch.io or itch.io or however we're saying it, um, is one of the most interesting places to see strange little games on the internet today. And they're doing amazing stuff over there. And this game is on sale at itch.io for five bucks. Um, and uh, it's available for Mac and PC. It's also on uh, Steam Greenlight, waiting for your votes to get this released to a wider audience on Steam. And I think that it'd be a great way to support Porpentine's work by going there and uh, and voting for it. And I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes for that too. If you, for some reason, aren't sure about it, maybe $5 has been hard to come by for you right now, uh, go to Porpentine's website with all its wonderful gifts and gradients and great backgrounds. And uh, you can play essentially, I think, all of these games for free on her website. All of these games can be played in a browser. But then you'll be lacking the really useful guide to her collection here, as well as uh, her really fascinating notes on each piece, kind of giving her thoughts on you know where she was when she wrote them, or the themes, or you know what really they're all about. So definitely pick up this collection. The title is Eczema Angel Orifice, and uh, we'll have a link to, the, to it in the show notes, of course. And though it's not actually calendar summer, it's still like 85 degrees in Chicago, so we can still call this summer reading. Yeah, absolutely. So before we wrap up, um, Laura, what have you been up to this week? Uh, well, I'm preparing for a trip to Tokyo. I leave on Sunday. Oh my god, I'm uh, so jealous. I, for- I almost forgot, and I, <laughs> I'm really jealous I've never been to Japan. Uh, I'm really excited. Um, in advance, I've... Um, borrowed a copy of Majora's Mask for DS <laughs> Perfect. to play on the plane. Um, my boyfriend is not happy about this because he wants to watch videos and hang out with me on the plane. Um, and the fact that I've started playing that worries him. Um, he'll deal. He'll read comics. It'll mm-hmm. all be good. Um, so I've started Majora's Mask. How um, long is that flight? It's 17 hours, but we have a layover in Toronto of an hour and a half. Oh my god. So we fly to Toronto and then go across. So I think, you know, there's some kind of mystic voodoo where coming back, I'm leaving at like three in the afternoon and getting in at six on the same day, but that's because we're crossing the dateline. Yeah. Um, but in the mix of comics and Miyazaki movies um, and plain movies and books, Majora's Mask is going to be in in that wonderful mix. And I'm excited because, I mean, I'm going to go to Japan. I should be playing video games at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and spending too much money. I mean, mostly I've been um, preparing for that, but I've been playing a lot more Race of the Sun on the iPhone. Um, and I recently have completed Region 4 for the first time, and that was a big milestone for wow. me. Wow, I am so bad at that game. I've been playing on the uh, on the Vita, although I've sort of set it aside recently as I've been playing a bunch of other interesting stuff on the Vita. Um, but I still pick it up every now and then because it's such a great little pick-up-and-play game. Uh, I've never gotten past region three, never once. Have you been into a crazy portal? Yes, I think so. If I know what you're talking about, um, sort of teleports you forward, right? Uh, teleports you into a weird star world. Oh yeah. 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 It's pretty cool, but yeah. So a pretty light week for games for me, but, um, I am still horrified by the noise Link makes every time he puts on a mask. He sounds like he's dying. (laughs) I'm kind of not okay with it. Well, you'll have enough time to finish it uh, on your two 17-hour flights, so uh, so yes. good luck to you there. Thank um, you. I've had an interesting week, too, in far, as far as games are concerned. Um, I finished uh, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, 
uh, this week, which I've been kind of playing in small chunks. Uh, it, it's something that we may eventually talk about on this show because it is a short game, um, mm-hmm. but we probably aren't in a hurry to talk about it. There's a lot of great reviews out there. If it's a uh, if it's a game that you're interested in, I would say check it out. Lovely. I'm also almost done with Persona 4, a game which has taken me 80 hours, the opposite of a short game. So I'm very excited about finishing that one. And I've also been playing a lot of, uh, of Super Time Force Ultra, which is, was free on PS4 and Vita as a part of the, um, the PlayStation Plus program this month. And that's pretty much it for me this week. I guess the last thing that I'm kind of excited about is that before too long, pretty soon here, uh, you, me, and Nate... And sadly, not Shane, but at least three of the four uh, hosts of the short game are going to be in the same place at the same time. Do you think that it will tear space time apart? I mean, I have never actually met Nate in person, so (laughs) (laughs) um, we might break the space time continuum. And the first time you meet is going to be at his wedding, which is... It's going to be wonderful. Great. We're all going to, to uh, St. Louis for Nate's wedding. And so if you want to wish Nate, uh, you know, happy nuptials, you can do that at our website, www.theshortgame.net. <laughs> Please use our website. Use our it. feedback form, or you can write to info at theshortgame.net, and I will make sure that your, well, your good wishes will be passed along to our currently absent co-host uh, in time for his wedding day. Um, and, uh, of course, I have been your host, Reagan Kelly. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Laura Nash, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And, of course, our website is always there for you. You can check it out at www.theshortgame.net. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>